We acknowledge and respect the first humans of the unceded land we call San Francisco, the Ramaytoshaloni. We condemn the genocide of these and other tribes across the Western Hemisphere. We honor their legacy and history, and we support rematriation and sovereignty efforts. Hello, and welcome to Storied San Francisco, a podcast all about the people and places that make this city unique. I'm Jeff Hunt, and I'll be your host. This episode is part two with Manila Town Heritage Foundation and its executive director, Caroline Julia Kabating. If you missed part one with Caroline, please go back and check that out. In part two, we dive deeply into the history of San Francisco's Manila Town, once a 10-block stretch of Kearney that today runs through the heart of the financial district. Integral to Manila Town's history is the story of the I-Hotel. In 1977, hundreds of mostly Filipinos were evicted from the hotel in the middle of the night. Today, the Manila Town Heritage Foundation serves many purposes. Among them, preserving the history of the struggle to keep communities, especially communities of color, intact. Here's Caroline. The only thing that was missing in um, Manila Town, which is why, you know, even my own family left, is that it's it was very similar to how Chinatown is now. Mm. This is where you would come if you were a newcomer, but you can't own property here, really. You know, so the SROs would be here, you know, a lot, especially if you were a young man, you would, you know, come here and start here. And then there were uh, a handful of like the immigrant families that actually raised families here. But once you had a, a point where you could buy property or your first house, you would go somewhere else. Mm. And so that was where some of the families ended up in the the Fillmore. The Fillmore was basically like all communities where you see quite a few communities of color, especially, is that that was where they they said we could live. You know, that's really... I'll say it. um, It's a redlining idea. It's that mentality for sure. Yeah. So this is where a Filipino-American family could, like, get a house. And, mm-hmm. you know, at that time, these these lovely Victorians were not as valued as they are now. Mm-hmm. So, like, so we, you know, we ended up being in that neighborhood. We actually, my family owned two Victorians. Does that hurt your heart a little bit? It does, because the thing about it is that I I do still live in San Francisco, but I can't afford a home in where I grew up. Right. Yeah, so that does. And I also have memory, not so much of, like, maybe the popular culture of San Francisco when I was growing up, but I know that particular neighborhood. I I remember being able to, I knew everyone on the block. Mm -hmm. Um, They knew us children. Mm. They would snitch to our parents if we were not behaving ourselves or something like that. Mm -hmm. There was was that sense of like long-standing families, you know, the older men and women would be looking after you and there was buy-in of a community. We, you know, and again, it's like we knew the the restaurants to go to, you know, I grew up learning how to sing from one of those garage studios that, that was hidden away. Amazing. And that doesn't exist now when I go visit my mom in her Victorian in the Fillmore because she still lives there. Oh, great. Um, There are a a bunch of people that the old families are gone. I think it became attractive to them to find out how much their house might have been worth. And so then they, you know, they could get two times the house in Sacramento if they just sort of took the money, which was probably not a great idea because, you know, the property value went up even more. But I don't know anybody. And I don't know if they know each other 
either because the turnover on some of the people that live there is quite quick. Yeah. You know, um, my grandfather's house, it's already had three owners in maybe the 20, 25 years that he's been gone. Whereas my family has been in that home since the 1940s, you know, so, so it was like no generations one, no have one lived. Left. Yeah. And then now there's... Yeah. So so that's very interesting to see, like, the one home that after maybe five years, it'll be another owner. Right. Whereas it was, like, two generations of Unheard that, that state. Yeah. back then. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that detour. Sure. Um, let's come back to Manila Town, but specifically the iHotel. I don't yeah. think I mentioned it before we were recording. You mentioned that it was a developer, and it's a name that some people might be familiar with still today and that they wanted to raise the building yeah. and build a parking lot. Yes. But then I'll put a little bit of history here because it, it would be interesting for people who don't know it. It's like the International Hotel was a low-income residential hotel that became the most dramatic housing rights battleground in San Francisco history and in many ways America. As a center for Filipino and Asian American activism in the 1970s, the building housed nearly 150 Filipino and Chinese seniors, three community groups, an art workshop, a radical bookstore, and three Asian newspapers. The I Hotel stood on the last remaining block of Manila Town, a once thriving Filipino neighborhood that was gradually displaced by San Francisco's expanding financial district. A little bit about the history of the, the rise and the fall of the I Hotel. From 1968 to 1977, landlords of the hotel tried to evict the residents and build a parking lot. Resisting eviction for almost a decade, the tenants organized a mass-based, multiracial alliance, which includes students, unions, churches. During the final 3 a.m. Um, eviction on August 4th, over 3,000 people unsuccessfully defended the I-Hotel from hundreds of club-wielding riot police. The building was demolished in 1979 and it remained a vacant lot for over two decades. Thanks to a concerted effort by local neighborhood groups, the I Hotel was rebuilt in 2005, providing 104 units of low-income senior housing and this international hotel, Manila Town Center, to continue the legacy of Manila Town. I love it. So it got the facts in there. You know? <laughs> Thank you. No, and I, I love the story. We'll talk about it a lot more, but like it's... I don't want to say it's a fuck you. It's like, take that. We're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a story about the longevity of struggle. And I think that particularly for young people, they have to understand that is that, you know, it's one thing to protest and to make your intention and your anger known. But the fact of the matter is that you actually have to have the stamina to understand and recognize and respect the fact that these kinds of fights for human rights are never over. It's a constant fight. So you better take care of things like your health, mm -hmm. like your emotional health, like just understand and live with the fact that it will be your whole life. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, mm -hmm. you, know, to, you know, to serve in that way because we're fighting the same fight from 1977. So you always have to be on your guard. It's the longevity of struggle. That's, that's yeah. what this story's about. And when you do hold on to that longevity, you might get back something. You know, it took, right? And in that time, do things like educate yourself, organize, do the things that it would take, work toward. Yeah. 
what this, work with the struggle and toward the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we I try to it. do here. We try to not just be in our anger and our protest, but to actually build something, build something that would be our ideal of how we would want to be in community. Is that a nice segue? You said it, but is that a nice segue to talk about the Heritage Foundation? Yeah, and, and, and you okay. know, and, and that's pretty much, you know, what I think uh, was built. I know under my leadership, that is what I what I want, you know, yeah. and um, at, at a time with all the kinds of things that are challenging us from the pandemic to the level of disrespect that we see of people being cruel to each other and being cruel to our neighborhoods and, and you know, in our spaces and things like that and stealing and all this kind of stuff. It's not easy but it's the first reaction to just be angry about it and then maybe even protest about it. And then, but then that's all you're doing is that you're feeding anger. So that's important. It's important for us to not sit and take it. But for myself personally and for, you know, the small team that we have here, basically what we do is that we hold down on a daily level what the International Hotel stood for, which was we're going to create family, we're going to create community, we're going to create support. No matter what is on the outside, we can recreate it and we can make in within this space whatever beautiful family we want to make. So our choice is to build, you know, and our choice is to also, I guess the, the word would be protect the narrative. In many ways, it's a sexy narrative. It's like people like to tell this story. and But the thing about it is that we're intimately involved in this story. We live with the the elders that are, that are living mm. here. We know the old families that are connected to the space. We love this really the local land too we eat at the restaurants we are you know we live here and so if anyone understands the narrative on a very intimate level it would actually be us who you know who really love this story and and protect it so we are trying to also tell the story we're trying to do the research to you know to bring our stories out and making sure that they are preserved you know through oral history through documentaries you know things like that yeah, and even and this is this is why this was very important for me too yeah. to to tell this story. It's it's one thing to do talk story, which mm-hmm. was like really lovely. It was a part of my upbringing. We still do talk story here, you know, shoot the shit a little bit about and you know and and remember who we were and who we are, but it also needs to be actually literally preserved for the yes. perpetuity. Yeah. yeah, or else or else Posterity. we forget um, our stories. As a matter of fact, if you don't remember the stories, it's as if something didn't exist, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you don't and, want to be part of self erasure. Yeah. Self erasure. There's enough forces trying to erase. Yeah. Yeah. So, so all. the story has to be told yeah. and it's, and it's a great story for San Franciscans too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that's something that San Franciscans in general just need to know. They need to know beautiful stories about how great it is, whether you're transplanted or you were born here. It's like, it really doesn't get any better than this. Even as we have our <laughs> challenges, it's like, it's the most, uh, you know, as I've traveled around the world and um, in different parts of America, I am so lucky that I grew up in such a diverse area where mostly it's it's progressive and mostly very liberal and in a really great state that cares about things like nature, health, you know, very privileged, mm-hmm. I think, that, that, that I could even like have, you know, this kind of expression, I could make the choices, that I could be a musician, you know, all, all these kinds of things I really do own to what I think is still a world-class city of There's San Francisco. There's still no place quite like it. No. And as long as that's true, I will 
love it. Yeah. And, you know, when you come from a family who's been here a long time, each generation will tell you it's the best of times and the worst of times. So, you know, like, so someone will go, well, I remember when it was really good and stuff. But so my, <laughs> my, my great grandparents remember, you know, my grandfather used to say, well, I remember when this was really a union town. Hmm. I remember when we had real competing newspapers, yeah. you know. So when you complain that it's like, it's not as good as it used to be. Well, it never was good as it used to right, be. Right. And it's always as great as it is, is you know I mean? yeah. <laughs> so, it's that line from Last Black Man of San Francisco, you can't hate it unless you love it. Yeah. That yeah, too. That too. So let's hear a little bit about how the foundation came to be. Um, was the city involved? Was the what or you know, what is the story there? One of the great things about the International Hotel was that the leaders of the movement to resist eviction came from the tenants themselves. Okay. And they did not want benevolent outsiders fighting the fight of these men. The men wanted to fight it. And then it had to be a tenant-run struggle. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to be a part of the struggle and the leadership, you had to actually move into the I-Hotel and really oh. understand that. So some of the young people like Jeanette, who we, who we met, she came in as a young woman and she wanted to be a part of that struggle. So the leadership was called the International Hotel Tenants Association. Okay. They were the leadership. When the eviction did happen and they raised the building, that organization morphed into my organization, the oh, Manila okay. Town Heritage Foundation. Okay. Because, you know, they were not the International Hotel tenants anymore. And the Manila Town Heritage Foundation, you know, really was trying to uh, remember and preserve and honor the, the legacy of Manila Town and the I-Hotel. And then when it became possible that the complex of the International Hotel could be rebuilt, then we became at the forefront of like helping to make that happen and to really okay. fight for that. And then of course, when it was built, we became the managers of one component of the complex, which was the International Hotel Manila Town Center. We are a three-pronged complex, you know, okay. this, most of this block. It was sort of like a, you know, neighborhood groups, not least of which was the Archdiocese of San Francisco, oh, which wanted St. Mary's Catholic Church. Church. Right. And so it's right over there. Okay. And then, of course, the apartments themselves, mm -hmm. the, the International Hotel Senior Residences is the second component. And then, of course, our center, which is the community museum, is the third. That's and, where we are right now. Yes. Yes. So it is a part of a bigger complex. Got it. And we do have what our dream was, which was like low-income seniors, you know, living at the I-Hotel, living at the I-Hotel again. It's wonderful. Yeah. I'm guessing that right after the evictions, there was a bit of a diaspora necessarily, or was there, or was there one place that most people went. There wasn't one place. It's yeah. like the you know you know we are talking about maybe 150 you know individuals, mm -hmm. and some of them went to the remaining SROs that were around town. Some okay. um, some died of a broken heart, you know, because they were elders, and and you know and and for you to be thrown out into the street at 3 a.m. It wasn't 1 p.m. It was 3 a.m. Right. You know, it was it was purposely tried to sneak in the eviction at a time when most people they thought would be sleeping or something like that. Right. So you know, so that was that was intentional. So some died of poor health. Some scattered to other parts of America. Mm, uh, even left the Bay Area. Uh, California. Left the Bay Area. You know, wow. um, one of our heroes I know went to the Washington area because okay. I, I, I got to know his family, you know, in later years. But there wasn't one particular place. You know, later on, there would be different places where there would be Filipino enclaves. The South of Market, 
mm-hmm. you know my family you know was uh, was from the Fillmore and where most Filipinos live now in San Francisco the Excelsior mm-hmm. and then there's also Daly City where even more Filipinos live in but then but no one sort of went as a mass exodus to a particular farm right and so this tenants association that came mm-hmm. out of it mm-hmm. and then became Manila Town Manila Heritage, Heritage Foundation. Foundation without a central location where people just meeting how and when and where they could yeah, to uh, over the years then reestablish this. Yes, and actually that's a really good point because there was no place that they, you know, inhabited. But on August 4th, every year since the eviction and, and continuing with us now, what ended up being just a hole in the ground for, for about, you know, over 20 years because nothing was built here after they evicted everybody. Go figure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was a commemoration that recalled... On the, the Yeah, and, you know, a candlelight visual would happen, events would happen. We still remember it. We still remember it not as a celebration, but a commemoration. So that was the one event that kept the community together. And then, of course, when, you know, the possibility of rebuilding the complex um, came up, you know, then then we had space. We, at first, we were actually in the south of market. We were in the Mint Mall. You know, that was where yeah. the, the, you know the headquarters were yeah. when when you know we, we started to uh, become more of an organization. And then eventually, when this space was built, and this is where this where home is. And I'm gonna guess that that was starting to happen in the mid to late '90s or so. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because I came on That's board okay. as a junior board member to see the building of this. So that so this was built in 19. I mean. 2005, 1994 was in, when it became really incorporated as a nonprofit, actually. Okay. Um, Manila Town Heritage Foundation, 2005 was when we rebuilt the space. So that it was in between those, you know, um, two periods of time when uh, the bulk of the work happened. And I believe that at that time we were in the Mint Mall at the South, the market. Okay. Yeah. So you said, did I miss here, you came on in 94? No, or when no, did not. You come I, more like 2005-ish. Oh, you know, around yeah. the time of yeah, when we the were, of yeah, this. and that was literally oh, um, wow. why I was came on board is okay. that they were trying to, you know, uh, build the leadership about the maintenance or or the continuation of this space once it was built. Mm-hmm. So there was a, uh, you know, a concerted effort to bring in younger people too, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, so I was brought in as a junior board of directors member. Okay, for with, for the the point of like building the space yeah <laughs> and here we are i mean that's no short amount of time yeah i had one question jeanette jeanette yes right yes jeanette Lazar. the woman we met so how common is it for residents like her to do art Oh, uh, very good. Thank you. Here. You know, because because one of the things that we really needed to preserve was that family feeling. And uh, as I like to um, tell people, it's like, what's the energy that you have here? We're not like a stodgy museum. We're not like, you know, or even a really, you know, a high end art gallery or anything like that, you know, or or even like, you know, a, a jazz club. Really, what we are is a, an enlarged Filipino living room in which the babies are are allowed to be here running around and feeling happy and the elders are here as well and everyone in between feeling like this is their space you know you come to hear from music you don't have to be quiet you can be talking in the corner you could be like eating you could you know it was it was like how it was in the old days of of the I hotel we're trying to preserve that so um yeah if an elder says I I like drawing I 
like painting or something. And, and you know, I would like to have an art exhibit during the week of my birthday, which is what Jeanette is doing. Her birthday's today, as a matter of fact. So we, we opened on Monday and she has her art. And that is the most important thing. It isn't about the exhibits and the art that gets funded by the California Arts Council and the San Francisco Arts Commission, which we have too. Good. But in some ways, it's this more in the heart that we give expression to our elders and to our babies and to everybody who wants to have an expression of creativity or say. It is very rare to have space in which that can happen. It's very rare to have space in San Francisco. And we're blessed to have it so we can program it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's mm-hmm. sort of like how that is. And and so this is one of the proudest things that, you know, two weeks ago, we had a beautiful trained visual artist named Angela Hahn that was here with her lovely work. And we were so proud of that, too. But then this is very special, too. And, mm-hmm. then, you know, that that, it, that Jeanette comes in with her, the drawings that inspire her and um, and that she gets to show it in, you know, in, in also in an ageist society in mm-hmm. which we, we are so insistent that there is no space or relevance for our elderly. It's important that we show that they are vibrant, that they are doing things, that their, uh, their minds are still sharp and they're curious. And, you know, um, because that's absolutely not true, that they're... They, that they're not relevant anymore. And so we, we stand in that space as well. That's amazing. That, you know, um, particularly for our elders. That That's our, so our elders are very welcome in this space. Does it make more sense to just maybe tell tell folks about the space, what's permanently here, what's possible here, and invite them to come here? Yeah, it is most definitely. We are here at 868 Kearney Street. We are on the site of the original I Hotel. And it is a community-based museum First and foremost, we have a permanent museum quality artifacts that recall the history. So this is a space where you can learn, you know, uh, particularly about the history of historic Manila Town and the I Hotel. There is even a formal I Hotel historic walking tour that we will take people on. Awesome. But we are also aware that we're not an archaic space that has no relevance to modern, you know, a community. So we listen to what the community would like to have in this space, be it our local Chinatown community, our San Francisco community, affordable housing and tenants' rights are part of our community, or the Filipino-American community. And we offer programming in that area. So it has nothing to do with historic Manila Town, but our young people in particular are wanting to connect with their ancestral culture. So one One of the things we do here, which has become a primary program, is we actually teach the music and culture and the crafts of um, ancestral um, pre-colonial Philippines. So that's just one of the things that's happened. I'm a musician. Most of my staff are musicians, jazz musicians, as a matter of fact. So we have jazz. You know, so so, so the jazz program that happens here. So some of those things, they just happen because artists come through, you know? Before I forget, because I'm not familiar with some of these musical instruments behind us, can mm-hmm. you tell us, we'll get pictures for sure, but can mm-hmm. you tell us what those are? Yeah, um, what you see, us. yeah, behind us is actually, um, and, and I'm actually, I've been studying this music with culture bears in the Philippines for over 20 years, so I'm actually one of the primary teachers that teaches here, and um, there, I it's, asked the right person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's kulintang music, and it's the pre-colonial gong tradition of mm-hmm. the Philippines. We also treat 
teach the gong tradition of the northern Philippines of Kalinga. And me as a composer, I actually bring together, I feel like, I like to feel that I'm contributing to Filipino-American jazz in the sense that, you know, my birthright is as a jazz musician. That's how, you know, how I've been trained. And this, you know, I, I am an American person. But I draw from my ancestral culture, um, the musical motifs, melodic and um, rhythmic of ancestral Philippines. And, and I create compositions that fuse both. And because I'm a vocalist and a, a lyricist, the words also are oftentimes reflect the history of uh, Manila Town, to, to be in remembrance. So my talk story is actually through music, mm-hmm. um, including a song about the I-Hotel as well. Amazing. So um, so that's sort of like how, you know, a creative person can be rooted in the space and sort of like find inspiration. And we have visual artists that have come through here and they find that inspiration. Poets, mm-hmm. especially poets and mm-hmm. writers. So people, if, if their heart is here, you know, um, there's a there's an important book by Carlos Bolosan in the Filipino community called America is in the heart. Manila Town is in the heart. You know, it doesn't. It's not necessary that you were born here, or that you had family here. If it resonates in your heart, you are a daughter or son of Manila Town, as far as we're concerned. That was Caroline Cabati, Executive Director of the Manila Town Heritage Foundation. Our next episode takes us over to the Mission District to meet folks from 826 Valencia, the nonprofit organization supporting under-resourced students with creative and writing skills and helping teachers inspire their students to write. Episode 13 drops next Tuesday. Special thanks on this episode to sound designer Kayla Anchel. Music for Storied San Francisco was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Michelle Kilfeather does original photography for us. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fifth season, we have more than 200 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're able to, please rate and review the show. And drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, weird, and healthy. And we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.